Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, the last time that we saw Jesus, he was clothed in glory, in divinity. Last week, Pastor Joe took us to the transfiguration, which was this scene where Jesus grabbed a couple of his buddies and they went for a hike. They went up on this mountain and Jesus revealed who he really is, fully God, fully Messiah, clothed in glory. And now he's naked or close to it and he's hanging on a cross and his friends are asking, how did it happen? They never saw this coming from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And if you've ever experienced real disappointment, if life has ever thrown you a curveball, you know what they're feeling because no one saw this coming. No one thought that Jesus would die. Not now, not like this. Over the next three days, a number of unexpected twists and turns will take place and it will leave them even more confused. At the end of that three days, something will happen that will forever change the course of history. Oh, I know you know the story. You've heard it a hundred times. Jesus' death and resurrection. But today I want to show you, maybe God speaks something new, something fresh to you today, that this isn't just a story that took place in ancient times, that was written down in a history book and filed away 2,000 years ago, something that happened between Jesus and his disciples. This story was written for Today, this story was written for you, and it was written for me. And if we will let it, this story will change our lives, and not just once, but over and over and over again. Let me take you to the beginning of the story. Luke 22, if you got a Bible, that's where we're going to be today, is Luke chapter 22. And while you're turning there, just a reminder, we're reading the Bible together as a church family this year. And so if you're into this thing and you've been reading, keep going. We got a few months left. But if you haven't gotten into this or maybe you've given up, maybe you thought, ah, I missed it. The year's almost over. Listen, let me give you a little Bible reading hack here. I did some math. And if you would pick one of these up and you would start with our New Testament readings, if you'd start in the New Testament this week, you can still finish the Bible by the end of the year. So not too late. Jump in. Let's go. We're reading the Bible together. Today, we're going to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is historical fact that this took place. But for today, what I'd really like is for you to feel the story. Imagine that you were there. What is happening? What are you seeing and feeling? What did the disciples go through over this short period of time. These are real events and these are real people. In fact, we're going to hear from one of these people in a little while. He's going to describe for us what the resurrection meant to him. And he was there and he he saw it and he felt it. A number of just unexpected things happen. What was it like to be there? So Luke, let me get you caught up. If you remember earlier in the week, Jesus had gone uh, into Jerusalem with lots of fanfare. People were celebrating him. They were shouting his name and praising him. This was the long-awaited Messiah, and they were excited that he was here. He was going to, they thought, he was going to go and claim his throne. Everything was good. Everything about Jesus was trending in an upward direction, but now a series of unexpected events are going to take place, and it starts in Luke chapter 22. Here's what it says. 
It says, now the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. This is nothing new. They've been trying to get rid of Jesus for a while. They've been at it for years, coming up with a plan to get rid of this guy. Verse three, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot. Judas was one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So Jesus at this point has been with his disciples, with these 12 guys for about three, three and a half years. And the 13 of them have become like brothers. They are bonded together. Yeah, they might fight like brothers. They probably have their ups and downs, but these guys have each other's back. No one expected that one of them would go rogue. But now we found out that Judas is a traitor. He went to the people that hate Jesus the most, and he says, how can I sell him out to you? How can I betray Jesus? And it's totally unexpected. But it gets worse. Later in that chapter, Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Peter, his friend, right? And we're going to find out that Judas isn't the only guy who's going to betray Jesus. Because in this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, trouble's coming and I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith is strong and that you hold on and you don't run. And, and Peter says this in verse 33, he replies to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm ready to go with you to prison to death, whatever it costs me, Jesus, I'm with you. And Jesus replies to him, oh, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Things are starting to unravel. First, Judas, now Peter. Everybody knew how tight Jesus and Peter were. If anyone was going to stick till the end, it's Peter. He was there from the beginning. He saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He knows who Jesus really is. He's going to stick. But within hours of Jesus saying these things, and the mob comes for him, when they come by the hundreds to arrest him, they come with weapons and torches in the middle of the night, they bring a whole army, they handcuff Jesus, they haul him away. Sure enough, Peter, when, asked, when he's asked, do you know Jesus? No. You sure you don't know him? We think we saw you with him. No. When he's asked a third time, Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And if you're one of the disciples, if you're living this story, walk into this for a minute, you got to be thinking, are you kidding me? What is going on? Just a few hours ago, everything was fine. Everyone was eating dinner together. They were laughing. It was a good time. Everything was going according to plan. Now Judas? Jesus is arrested? He's in the palace being questioned? And now Peter. No one saw this unexpected turn after turn after turn. Even so, you expect something to happen. It's got to get better. After all, this is Jesus, right? He's got to do something to change the circumstances. You've seen him show up in ways before. He's going to do it again. Jump ahead of chapter, to chapter 23, verse 32. I'm just going to rip through some stuff, and we'll come back and slow down. Verse 32 says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. 
He thought he was going to do something. Now they're hauling him out to hang him on a cross. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. It's going badly and it's happening quick. 18 hours ago, everything was fine. Now he's nailed to a tree, spikes driven through his wrists and his ankles. But even still, you got to wonder, what's he going to do? How's he going to get out of it this time? I mean, this guy can turn water into wine. He can heal lepers. He can cast out demons. He's going to show up, right? Something is going to happen. Superhero Jesus is going to appear on the scene. He's going to change this. It's not going to end this way. I always find this part of the story a little interesting, a little bit unexpected. It's almost like just sort of this sidebar conversation. But while Jesus is crucified, while he's hanging on the cross, he apparently has time to have a conversation with the person who's hanging there next to him. It's incredible. He's bearing the agony of crucifixion, and he slows down and he talks to this guy. The guy says to him in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's unfathomable to me that Jesus, in this crucial moment, when he's hanging on a tree, he has the time to slow down and he makes eye contact with this guilty man who's hanging next to him. And he offers him forgiveness and grace and mercy. He says something maybe about the heart of God. But now it's time, Jesus. Now it's time to buckle down. You got to focus. They've really got you cornered here. It looks like they're winning. You got to find a way to get yourself out of this, Jesus. Watch this, completely unexpected, verse 44. It was then about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. It's not possible. It can't happen. He's the Messiah. God, you promised in the Old Testament that you were sending someone and he would come and he would save us and he would make everything right. This can't be happening. He can't be dead. God had spoken so many times that he would send someone and that Messiah would fix everything. He said in Jeremiah, we saw this just a few weeks ago, God speaks through Jeremiah and he says in those days, remember he says, I will raise up For David, a righteous branch. We just looked at this a couple weeks ago. He will be a king who will reign wisely. He will do what is just and right in the land. When that happens in those days, Judah will be saved. God's people, right? Israel will be in safety. This king is supposed to reign and Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to make everything right. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring goodness. All of God's people are going to flourish. That hasn't happened. He can't be dead. No one saw this coming. So what did the disciples do? Well, they did what you and I would do. They ran. They scattered. They were scared. They go as far away as they can because they know that they're next. They'd been seen with this guy. People knew their names and their faces, and they were going to come looking for him. But all the hiding they could do, word finally comes to each of them. And the message is that Jesus is gone. What do you mean he's gone? He can't be gone. No, he is. 
Are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. And you wonder, on that Friday evening and that Saturday, as they start to hear news, as the disciples start to trickle back one by one into town, they come back to the house where they had met before because they don't know where else to go. And in a time like this, you just have to be with brothers, with family. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they saying? The Bible doesn't tell us, but put yourself there. Walk into the story. You've lost someone that you love, maybe unexpectedly. What did you feel? What did you think? What did you say? There's grief, right? There's confusion. Sadness and mourning, of course. There's reminiscing. Tell stories. Maybe there's even some laughter. Oh, there's anger. Are they mad at God? Probably. God, how could you let this happen? What's, what's going through their mind? What's going through their heart? They're scared, right? Because they're going to be next. Imagine, they never saw this happening. They didn't think it would go this way. He was the one. They'd left everything to follow him. Oh, sure, mom and dad had begged them not to. You don't even know him. How are you going to leave it all behind and follow him? And they said, we just know we have to go. And now what are they supposed to do? Just go back home with their tail between their legs? How, if you're one of the disciples, if you're there, what do you do next? How do you even make sense of this? How do you start to put the pieces of your life back together? Of course, the story doesn't end there. Chapter 24, more unexpected events. On the first day of the week, that's on Sunday morning. Jesus was crucified on Friday. This is now Sunday morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb of Jesus. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood, like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women, scared, of course, they bowed down with their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Well, if you didn't see his death coming, you certainly didn't see this. This is the most unexpected event in human history that Jesus came back to life. Wait a minute, they watched him die. They put his body in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it that it takes a bunch of people to move. And now what? He's alive? What does that even mean? And you can imagine they're totally confused. Of course, what happens next will be even more confusing because Jesus, he first rises from the dead, and then he appears to them. Well, if you didn't see his death coming and you didn't see him rising from the dead, you certainly don't expect him to appear again. And if you don't expect that to happen, what do you make of the fact that Jesus, they watch as Jesus basically takes an elevator into heaven? Like, this is confusing. You put yourself there and you go, man, in the span of just a few days, they experience the full range of human emotion. But stay here in the resurrection. I want to spend some time and just focus on it and try and make sense of it because 
It's confusing. But you got to stay in the story. You got to stay with the people that we've been tracking, the people that are there, and they're trying to make sense out of this moment because we have the ability to look back and we go, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus died and, and he rose again. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, right? But imagine you're there. Your friend is dead. You never saw that coming, but it happened. And now what? You're on the run. The religious leaders are after you. And you hear word that he's alive. You don't even have a category for this. He's dead. What do you mean he's alive? And you, of course, you want to believe it, right? You want to hold on to hope and go, yeah, our friend, he's back. He's not dead. He's alive. But how could you believe it? And you see sort of this, this traffic jam of, of emotions. We get this picture of what they must be feeling. There's this little scene, and it's, it's sort of like peripheral to the whole story. But there's this little scene where two of Jesus' disciples are walking. They had been in Jerusalem. They had been there for the, the crucifixion. They had been in town for the Passover. They had seen the whole thing. And they're going home, and they're just really confused. They're not really sure what to think, and so they're walking on this road. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to them, but they don't recognize him for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. It doesn't really matter. Jesus shows up, and they're talking about the things that have happened. And you, you, you get a sense of the confusion the disciples must be feeling by this little interaction, one of them says, verse 21, we had hoped that Jesus, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You hear the disappointment. We thought he was the guy. Verse 22, and now in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. So now maybe he's alive. Circle the word amazed in your Bible. It means confused or astonished. Because now they're more confused. We don't even know what to think. We followed this guy. Trying to make sense of what's going on. We're heartbroken. We're excited. All of those things, right? It doesn't make any sense. He was dead and now maybe he's alive. If you've ever found yourself confused. If you've ever kind of found yourself in a moment or circumstance, situation in life where you're like, how did this happen? How did I get here and you're trying to make sense of things, you understand this. You understand how frustrating it can be to go, I don't, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to put these pieces together. I don't know what God could be doing. That's what they're feeling. Maybe some of you are feeling that right now, you're trying to make sense of things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most unexpected event in history. It's totally unique. No one has done this. No one has predicted their own death and resurrection and then done it. There's nothing like it where someone would die, come back to life and live forever. It's the most important event. Yes, his death is important. The Bible says in Romans, the Bible says that his death connects us, reconciles us, makes us right with God. But if it's just his death, honestly, death is not unique. Everyone dies. In fact, lots of people died on crosses in history. And if it just ends there, it's one thing. But Jesus rose again to live forever. No one has ever done that. And we hear it all the time. It's the Easter story. And we know it. It's like we're recycling it. But let me say it one more time. Jesus of Nazareth died. And a couple days later, he came back to life forever totally unexpected. It's never happened before. Again, everyone dies. 
That's not unique. But coming back to life and living forever, that's happened one time with one person in all of history. So what does it mean? How do we make sense of it? Well, someone who was there, who felt everything and saw everything with his own eyes, actually wrote down what it means. So if you got a Bible, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've talked about Peter, right? He was there at the scene. He's the guy who denied Jesus. Peter repents. Peter asks Jesus for forgiveness, and he meets with the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus gives him forgiveness. And 30 years later, Peter sits down and he writes a letter and he says, this is what it means. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Let me tell you everything that we were seeing and feeling. This is what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not just some ancient story. It's for you and me. And if I'm going to try and understand this, I want to hear from someone who was there and saw it and felt it firsthand. Watch this. First Peter chapter one, verse three says this, says in his great mercy, he, that's God in God's great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This whole passage is about the resurrection of Christ. He's trying to make sense of it. He's trying to tell us what it means. He's given us new birth and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter was there himself. He's like, let me, 30 years later, he's had time to think about this and process this. And with God's help, he writes down, he goes, let me tell you what it means. Because it wasn't just for us that were there then. It's not just a story recorded in history, but it's for us today. And right here in these couple of verses, Peter makes sense of, explains the entire resurrection to us. Watch this. He says three things he's going to show us that the resurrection means. He says it himself. Here we go. One is this. Write this in your notes. First thing he says about the resurrection is that the resurrection means what? It means new birth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means new life. It means you can be, because of Jesus, you can be made new. Your sins washed away no more. Your failures taken away. No more. Not through your good work, but through the work of Jesus Christ, through his resurrection. And you think about this analogy that he uses about the birth of a baby. And, and, and you're going to go, okay, you think about the birth of a baby. How does that happen? I know how it happens, okay? I don't, don't send me any books or emails or anything. I know how it happens. But you think about this illustration. There's so much mystery in it, right? Like two people make a person, really? And somehow that person just like grows inside of another person. And then in nine months, a person emerges and they have like a brain and a heart and lungs to breathe. Like there's a lot of mystery around it, right? Well, this illustration of new spiritual birth, guess what? There's a lot of mystery around this too. What does it mean that we're born again, that we're given new birth, new life through the resurrection of Christ? I'm not really sure. Jesus says that it means our sins are washed away. That our shame is taken away. Where does it go? I don't know. Other than the Bible says that Jesus buried it in the grave. And he left it there when he was raised to life. So for you and I, there's new life. There's new birth. Do you need new life? I mean, the Bible says through the resurrection of Christ, you can start over. 
that you could lead your whole life running from the things that you've done, trying to get away from the awful things that people have done to you, trying to distance yourself from the things that you're embarrassed by, your mistakes, your shame. And Jesus goes, if you need new life because you just feel the death of everything that you've done, he goes, here you go. The Bible says it's the resurrection of Christ that gives new birth. That if we would believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, that there's new life. And I love that. Maybe today you need new life. For the first time, you need to say, I need new life through Christ. But there's something here for all of us, too, because for those of us that have been following Jesus for a while, new life is not just a one-time thing. It's all the time Jesus gives us new life, new birth. Those words in Romans, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That burns in our hearts and in our minds. No condemnation, meaning each and every day. There's new birth. There's new life. Well, you don't know what I did yesterday. Yeah, there's new birth. There's new life. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. It gets really exciting. Second thing that he says, second thing he says is this. There's new birth. And he says, because of the resurrection, again, it's all about the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, there is living Hope. Now, you're going to love this. This is incredible. This word right here, this word hope, in the original language, it means, watch this. It means an expectation. Put this in your notes. This is good. An expectation of good things. That's what the Bible says. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can have an expectation. You can expect good things in your life. Not my words, not my promise, God's words. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you have a living hope. That means an expectation of good things. Now, that doesn't mean health and wealth, does it? But it means that our Heavenly Father is on your side. It means that you could wake up each day expecting God to do good things while knowing that there could be days that involve tragedy. And yet, even in that, there would be some glimmer of hope, something good, because God is on your side. You see, no resurrection, no hope. So you think this is just some ancient story that we tell on Easter, but no, you see how it intersects with every single day of our lives? Do you see how this speaks to the disappointment that you might be feeling right now or the confusion or the chaos in your mind of how do I make sense of life? The Apostle Paul says that the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the resurrection. And he says, if there's no resurrection, this whole thing is a scam. If it ended with the death and there is no resurrection, it just stops with the death of Christ, then people should feel sorry for us because we're basically stupid for believing what we believe. But he goes on to say there is a resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we have hope. Do you need hope? Have you run out of hope? Have you stopped waking up in the morning and believing that God has good things for you? Because of the resurrection, Jesus says, come to the resurrection and you will find hope. And it's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. One more thing. Watch this. The resurrection of Christ means, he says, an inheritance, an irrevocable inheritance. I have to admit, when I look out at the world some days, I'm pretty scared. I see things going on. I'm confused, trying to make sense of it. And you go, man, 
seems like we're losing our grip on reality. It's changing all the time. I know how much just the world has changed in my life. I have three kids. I wonder what they're going to see. And I'm, I'm scared for them, honestly. And I come back to a passage like this that says it's all about the resurrection. Everything is about the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we have an inheritance that cannot change. Everything in the world can change. But my title of son of the king can't be taken away. The promise that God has made to you, that you are chosen, that you are loved, daughter or son, no one can take that away. Everything else could change. But this inheritance is irrevocable. It cannot fade. And here's Peter. And he says, it's all about the resurrection. Because even in the 30 years that he'd lived since Jesus died, he goes, everything's changed. But you know what hasn't changed? The inheritance that we have in Christ. The promise of good that we have. And if you look at the resurrection... And if you go, man, if God is so for us that he would send his son to do this, how can I not believe his promise of goodness, this irrevocable inheritance that is life, eternal life with Christ? Let me take you back to Luke just for a minute, just to this scene, because remember, Jesus has died and he's risen. He starts showing up to his friends. He starts appearing. And watch this at the end of chapter 24 and verse 40. He shows up and it says that Jesus showed his friends his hands and his feet. He goes, look, it's me. He shows him. I got holes in my wrists and in my ankles, right? You guys, you know me. It's, it's me. And verse 41 says, he showed them, but they still did not believe it. You know, just because of the resurrection doesn't mean that everything in life is going to make sense. You're going to find yourself in situations that are confusing, uncomfortable, painful, lonely. You're trying to make sense of you're going to have doubts. And Jesus says, take all of that and bring it and meet me at the resurrection. You need new birth. You need life. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. You're in need of hope. Where else are you going to find it? Living hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. Your whole world is changing and things are shifting all the time and you need something to hold on to. Here's the promise irrevocable, found in the resurrection of Jesus. So I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I hope that you would find encouragement here that if you need life, if you need hope, lasting hope, if you need something to hold on to, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks truth to us. God, like the disciples, we experience a lot of unexpected things in our life. Changes that we never saw coming. And we try and make sense of it, but often we're, we're confused and it takes a toll on us, God, and we start to lose hope and life starts to flame out of us. And we start to have doubts and we wonder where you are. And this story just sheds light that there is hope. God, today, some of us need hope. God, today, some of my brothers and sisters are running on empty. They need life. 
God, today, some of us feel like the ground under our feet is shifting all the time and there's nothing that we can hold on to. You are firm. You are unchanging. And you say, come to the resurrection of Jesus and I'll meet you there and I'll give you life and hope. So today, God, we come to you and we ask, would you fill us up with hope? Not a hope that is based on a relationship or another person or a possession, but that's found. It's found in your unchanging love. Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself, that you lost your life so that we could have life. And I thank you that it didn't end there, that death didn't win so that we don't even ourselves have to defeat death. I thank you that you're risen, Lord Jesus, so that one day we will rise to see you face to face. Give us hope today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.